But let me uh, open us up this morning with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for rest. We thank you for a new day. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would just anoint uh, Greg and Ben as they teach. I pray that you would anoint us as a team as we minister to each one. Continue, Father God, to cause a word to just fall on fertile ground. And thank you for the hunger and the desire to learn in our midst. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's welcome Greg. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, you know, the prophetic and the Great Commission and how those two things uh, really work together. And, you know, part of the, uh, the responsibility, I believe, of, of prophets today, uh, one, yes, we have to be an example and we prophesy over people. But number two, we are called to be coaches. And according to Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, that, that section there, it says that Jesus gave these five ministries. And, uh, you know, historically, we said Jesus gave these five ministries so that they do all the work, right? But that's not what it says. It says that they gave these five ministries to equip people to do those kinds of works. Amen. Amen. So part of the responsibility as a prophet is that we teach you how to be prophetic in the areas where God has set you, okay? So how to hear God's voice, how to receive a message, how to share that message in a natural way, how to, you know, be discerning in the, in the, the marketplace or the, the school where God has set you. You understand? So part of the responsibility of prophets is not that we do all the prophesying. Actually, we're supposed to work ourselves out of a job. It's very different than the Old Testament. Old Testament, everyone depended on the prophet to hear from God for them. New covenant is very different. We don't depend on prophets to hear from God. We can hear God for ourselves. Amen. So God's, God wants us to understand that these five ministries are like five coaches. And one of the joys in my life is I, since my boys were very young, we we have, uh, in the United States, we have Little League baseball, and so I would teach them. We have, we have Pee Wee and then Little League. So from the age of three to five, they have, you can start baseball. And so I would teach baseball since they were just little, little kids. And then when we moved to Texas, the, uh, the private Christian school we were at, they didn't have a, a uh, baseball team. So they asked me to develop a baseball program, so I be, ended up being their high school coach. And so I love to coach. It's one of my joys. And so, you know, the coach, his responsibility is to put a passion in the players, to develop the potential in them, to tell them the rules of the game, and then to allow them to play the game. But on game day, the coach does not play. The players play. The coach continues to train, continues to maintain, continues to give pointers. But the idea is the coach not to play in the game. Right? It is the players that are supposed to play in the game. And so one of the things that I feel is sometimes misunderstood, even including today in 2019, is that these five ministries are here to do all the work, and we watch them do their thing because they are the professionals. But that's a misconception, and I think that we need to adjust ourselves to realize that these five ministries are on the planet to teach me how to be apostolic, how to be evangelistic, how to be prophetic, how to be pastoral in the place where God has set me. All right. So on that premise, we want to talk today about the concept of gates. Now, gates are something that is very, very amazing in Scripture. I mean, all of this, the ancient cities had these humongous walls that they would, they would put around the cities, and they would, they would uh, you know, some of them were super tall, super wide, and chariots could be on top of them, and and they were there to protect the city. And there were only a few access points into that city called gates. And the amazing thing about the gates, they were many times made out of uh, wood. Some of them had metal, pieces of metal and different things. But primarily, they were wooden. And, and the gates were so, uh, so important because, you know, if an enemy was going to attack, it would be very difficult to attack the walls. It'd be very difficult to tear down the walls unless God was with them, like in Jericho. That was a different story. But normally, as you can, you know, watch in Lord of the Rings and all of these other movies, you see, you know, they normally don't attack the walls. What do they attack? They attack the gates because that's the, that's the weakest point of the whole city. And uh, as we see in different types of movies and displays, we realize that if an enemy can, can crash the gate 
Now the enemy can get into the city and have access to everything and everybody. So the idea is whoever controls the gate controls the city. All right. Are you with me this morning? Everybody's still awake. All right. So whoever controls the gate controls the city. So let's talk about gates because gates are places of influence. And um, in the scriptures, we see this so many places, even in the New Jerusalem in Revelation, there are 12 gates in that city. So we know that this concept of gate is a God idea and that gates are places of influence. And I just want to name a few things that we see happened in gates in the Old Testament. Uh, Number one, the gates are where the elders of the city would gather to meet. And the elders of the city were considered the leaders, the government. They were the ones that had to deal with the legal things that that people brought cases to them. And they would have to make the final decision of of what was going to happen with this uh, this particular case. So they represented the government of the city. And they would meet together, the elders of the city would meet together in the gate, it says. That was the meeting place. So the gates represented government. They represented the legal system. Number two, there was a lot of religious activity and and, uh, the symbolism of revelation by the gates. What do I mean by that? Many times over the gate, there was a large tower built on top of the wall. And there was a man that would stand on that tower with a trumpet called the watchman. And the watchman's responsibility was to continually be vigilant of what was happening outside the city. And if they saw an army approaching with different colors than their their allies or different colors of flags and they realized this is a dangerous thing, they would blow the trumpet. And they would blow the trumpet to alert two things. One, they would alert the people of the city. But number two, most importantly, they would alert the elders. And the elders had the, the responsibility to open or close the gate to protect the city. What a beautiful picture of the prophetic and the apostolic working together, okay? We see that the prophetic people have this this, uh, ability to see and to see what's happening, to discern the times, to know what's going on, but they don't have the responsibility to make the final choice. It was the elders of the city. This is sometimes where prophetic people make great mistakes in churches, where they feel something, they sense something, they discern something, and they come to the pastor and say, Pastor, God says this, and we need to do that. And the pastor says, I don't think that's what we should do. And they get super offended, and they leave the church, and they take a group of people with them, and and it's really a sour thing. But they don't understand their role. It was not the watchman's responsibility to make the final choice to open or close the gate. It was just their responsibility to say what they felt, what they saw, and it was the responsibility of the elders of the city to make that final choice. So if you're a prophetic person here today, it is not your job to control the pastor and tell the pastor what to do. Amen. You still love me? All right. But sometimes we feel something very strongly, and we come to the leaders, and we share that feeling with them, and we don't get a positive response from them. We feel very offended. It's like, wait a minute, they're not listening to God, and I am. Well, be careful. Be careful, because that is not your role. Your role is to cooperate as a team, to share what God's given you, but it is their responsibility to make that final choice. Amen. So, number three, there was something else that happened in the gates. Um, It was a place of immigration, because this is where, you know, the refugees and people from other lands would come through those gates, and that would be the welcoming place. That would be the place of access to the city to help if they were seeking shelter, if they were seeking refuge, if they were, you know, fleeing from their situation, they would come through that gate. And so we know that the gate was a place of immigration. Number four, it was a place of business. This gate, these gates were the, like I said, the primary access points to the city. So it was like the main street, kind of like New West here, this main street. Where are all most of the businesses here? On the main street. Why? Why? because of traffic. And so 
businesses would set up along the, the gate, in the entrance of the gate, that main street, the main thoroughfare, and they would set their businesses there because so many people were coming in and out of that place, and that's where they could sell the most goods. So the gates represented business. All right. Finally, this was a place where the sick and the poor were laid. So we see here social help was a place that, that the gates represented social help. Why? Again, lots of traffic. So if I'm sick, if I'm poor, they would lay the beggars, the blind, they would put these people along that place because that's where the most people are coming through. And so they would beg for money. They would beg for help as people are going in and out of the city along this place. So we see here, it was a place of, the gate represented a place of social help. Number two, immigration. Number three, business. Number four, religious activity or, or revelation. Number five, government, leadership, and vision. And we see that the gates represented many, many things just in the natural in these old cities, these ancient cities. So when we look at this, we realize that what was happening in the gate affected the whole population. It affected the whole city. What was decided in the gate, what the gate was, if it was open or closed, affected everybody. So the gates were these places of great influence. So what I want to propose today is that God has asked us to be gatekeepers. And all of us in this room are either, uh, we, no, let me back this up, we are doing two things simultaneously every day. We are influencing someone, and we are being influenced by someone or something every day. You say, well, who am I influencing? Well, you're, you're influencing at least one person. You're having an impact in someone somewhere during your day. Every one of us are experiencing this simultaneously. We are influencing someone, and someone or something is influencing us, good or bad, right? If we're parents, guess what? Your kids are being influenced by you. You say, well, they don't, they don't know. My wife and I are fighting like cats and dogs. We, we do that behind closed doors. They're only two years old. They would never know. Yes, they do. Those little spirits inside of them can pick up and discern everything that's going on in the house. You are influencing those little children. You're influencing the, the atmosphere of your home, of your marriage, by what's going on. We are influencing someone or many, many, many people, possibly, but we are also being influenced by someone or something. So that means that God wants us, as his sons and daughters, to represent him in the gates of influence. Now, one of the things that, that happened to me when I was, again, when I was 16, I just got filled with the Holy Spirit. I was so excited. I was feeling the call of God in my life. And, and there were some very strong messages that I heard early in my, in, in my teen years. These were some of the messages I heard. It says, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to leave everything and follow him, right? And we would all say, well, amen, that Jesus talked about that. But in my little mind as a teenager, I thought that what it meant is I got to leave all of my career aspirations. I got to leave all of my jobs. I got to leave everything that I have to be a real 100% super disciple that's really sold out. The, the sign of super disciple means to leave everything and follow Jesus. And if I don't do that, somehow I am a secondary or second level disciple. So I grew up with a mentality thinking that if I would be pursuing to be a teacher in the high school or a college coach in basketball, somehow I was not the same as a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist that had left their careers and were full-time in church work. Somehow, somehow in my mind, I thought that was super disciple, this is secondary disciple. Right? This is a serious guy, and God favors this one, but this one, he's mediocre. Right? And I, I had that thought in my mind, and there were some very strong messages that really brought that influence in me. 
And I have a feeling that maybe also in you, in your lifetime, you've heard some of those kinds of messages. And uh, today, I really feel like this message is going to help you. And in, as we've shared this message in different places, so many people have been set free to be a disciple of Christ in the gate that God calls them to. Amen. <laughs> all right. Because not all of us are called to be full-time Christian workers in a local church. That doesn't mean that you're not called to be a disciple and an influencer in the gate that God set you in. All right. So, as uh, this was probably, I don't know, maybe eight years ago when God gave me this, this picture and he, he began to speak to me about the kingdom of heaven on earth. We, we've heard, we're hearing a lot about, you know, let your kingdom come, your will be done, you know, heaven on earth, all those kinds of things. And, and um, you know, he just, he spoke to my heart and he said, you know, there was some moments in history where heaven was on earth. And I, so I started thinking about that. And he said, you know, in the Garden of Eden, we saw heaven on earth. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was perfect communication. There was communion with the Father. There was face-to-face -face communication with God. And, and there was, there was uh, uh, freedom between man and woman. There was no shame. There was no fear. There was, it was heaven on earth. And you look at that and you go, wow, that was one of those moments in history where heaven literally was on earth. And then he said the second place we see heaven on earth is when the kingdom of Israel began to be formed and, and the strategy of, of the setup of the kingdom of Israel and how God set the tribes up and, you know, the 12 tribes and all of these things were put into place. And he goes, that was heaven on earth. That was my kingdom manifest on the earth. And so I started, he, he, he took me into this study of the tribes of Israel. I had, I had studied them before, but not like this. This was very different. And uh, as we, uh, maybe we can put this up uh, on there. <clears throat> In the tribes, there were these four sectors. You had the north, south, east, and west, and, but there were 12 tribes. And then there was this tribe in the middle called the Levites. And uh, we can see it here in this, this little picture. And uh, we're going to talk about these just for a moment because in God's, God's way or view or perspective, we see that all of this was his kingdom. But you know, like I said, as I grew up, I thought the kingdom of God was the middle part. That was the important part. And that the goal of, of all of us is that we will one day be like the 12 disciples, leave our fishing nets and follow Jesus full time and let Jesus take care of us financially. And our goal was to be in the middle and be in the temple work. And somehow if I was in one of these other things that is somehow not as dedicated as, you know, the guys in the middle right, or more important, or I'm not as anointed if I'm over here in these other tribes as the, the people in the middle. So it was like my goal, my goal was to somehow, I, I, got, I can't follow all of those dreams, I got to let go of that to be this. And if I'm this, I have arrived to spiritual maturity and um, true ministry for Jesus. I know none of you have ever had those kind of thoughts, but I had those kind of thoughts growing up. And, um, and unfortunately, because of messages that we've heard over our lifetime, and it's not that people try to put this inside of us, it's just, it's just how we hear things sometimes in our context, in our religious mindsets. We hear that and we go, wow, so, so I'm a carpenter, I have a carpenter's business, and this guy came in and preached about leaving everything to follow Jesus, be sold out for God. Well... I don't feel called to be a pastor or a teacher, an evangelist. I don't feel a calling in my life to be that, but I'm super excited about being a carpenter. I do really well at it, and wherever I go, I'm talking about people about, with, about Jesus, and, and I'm leading some of my clients to the Lord, and I'm influencing people, and God's blessing my business so that I can be a blessing to the church and to the kingdom of God, but somehow now I have this guilt on top of me that somehow I'm not as important or as spiritual as those in the middle, right? 
But if you notice this, this in God's terminology, in God's perspective, this was his kingdom on the earth, not just the Levites. All of the tribes together were his kingdom. And when God looked at it, he goes, that's my kingdom. Not, oh, the ones in the middle are my kingdom. These others are kind of along for the ride. No, that's not how God looks at it. This is, this is my kingdom. This is my expression of who I am in the earth. And so you look at it, and if you look at the percentages, <clears throat> the one in the middle is very small, technically. I don't know how many people we have here this morning. Uh, maybe, what, 50, 60? What's 8% of 60? Four. So maybe four of you this morning would be called by Jesus to be in full-time ministry in the middle, to be one of those coaches called evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles. It's very possible. And if, it, if you do have that calling, you need to be obedient to that calling. You really do. God requires that upon you. It's a, it is a it is something that's been inside of you. It was decided before you were born, by the way. Because to be in the Levite tribe, you had to be born into that tribe. You didn't decide, hey, I want to be a, I want to be a temple worker, and I'm going to make that career choice to be a work in the temple. That was not your choice. You were born into that tribe. And just like the calling of ministry in a person's life is something that you are born with, it's not a career choice you make along the way. You say, well, well, I did come to this moment where I gave up this to follow that, but really that was your moment of discovery, but that was in you since you were born. We see that in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, in the womb I had called you. In the womb I separated you. In the womb I have chosen you to do this. So Jeremiah was born with this calling in his life. Later, about the age of 13, he has a conversation with God. He begins to find out, discover, oh, this is the calling in my life. So if you're called to that 8%, you need to do it. You need to trust God and you need to take that step. You will never, you can be a multimillionaire but be miserable because there's something inside that's not being fulfilled because it's not the call, you're not fulfilling the call on your life while you were created. You follow that. All right. So if that's what God's called you to, you need to trust God and take that step. I did that very early in my age. Uh, <laughs> I have a wife, I have four children, and we have not lacked anything. Because guess what? The Levites were taken care of by God. And, of course, they received tithes from all the tribes, and I understand all of that, and God, that was God's way of taking care of them. But sometimes people say, well, Greg, that's a scary step. I'm feeling the call of God in my life, but that means this, I got to let go of something? Yeah, you do. And that's where you trust God to take care of you and not the CEO or the business that you're working for. God takes care of you. He really does. And he does it in marvelous ways and different ideas and different streams that he takes care of the Levites. So if you're called to be a Levite, it's been something inside of you since you were born. And it's been growing inside of you in different ways. You need to respond to that. You need to say yes to that. And uh, take that step. You say, well, I got a wife and I got children. And what about that responsibility? God will take care of you. He's going to take care of them. I'm telling you, I've done this for many, many years. And we have others that have done this. And they can tell you as well, God takes care of his men and women. He really does. These guys were dedicated to the, the work of God. They lived and prospered by and through the temple service. Uh, these was a, this, this tribe was actually one of the wealthiest tribes in all of Israel, by the way. It's really interesting. They didn't own their own, their own land, but it didn't matter. God prospered them in such a way that uh, it, it was amazing how God took care of them. This was not their, their career choice. It was their calling in their life, and they cooperated with that. But let's look at these other, the other 92%. Because let's say four of you in this room are called to the Levi the Levi tribe, to call to work full-time in some kind of a ministry like that. That's wonderful. But what about the other 92 of us? So what, what are we supposed to do? I mean, 
you know, are we, we're not, obviously, we're not the Levites, so somehow are we less than, or are there more than us, or what, how does that work? But I really feel like, you know, sometimes we've made a very strong line between the sacred and the secular, and this is unfortunate, because sometimes we think that there is a line that's drawn around this building, that what happens inside the building is the sacred things and the ministry things, but once we leave this building, we enter into a secular world, and somehow that's not ministry out there. It's only ministry in here. And God wants us to change our mentality that the goal in my life is not to bring all my friends to get, come to the building to get ministered to, but that I am in that place to minister to them. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> so listen to, listen to this. When all of these are operating together, God says, that's my kingdom. That's my kingdom. That's the full expression. If it was only the Levites, it's not the full expression. That would be like putting all the salt in one place and saying, hey, if all those that are hungry come here and eat salt. No, that's not what God's idea is. You've heard me say that before. God puts all of us in this huge divine salt shaker, and he sprinkles us all over Vancouver. You understand that? There's a reason God does that. That's why you're the only Christian at that business. Your prayer needs to change. Sometimes we say, God, get me out of this place. It's hell on earth in this, in this business. My, my boss is, is the devil incarnate, and, and God, I need to get out of this place. Take me away from here. And God says, no, you're the only salt. You're the only light in that place. If I take you out of there now, it's complete darkness. You understand that? So we've got to change the way we think that, listen, God's called each one of us to be a minister. Let's use this word, called each one of us to be an influencer. So right now, I'm influencing you. Why? Because this is, I'm one of the Levites. Okay, that's, that's what God called me to do. I'm one of the coaches. And I'm on a platform. My platform's different than your platform. But my platform is not more important than your platform. But sometimes we have that thought that, ooh, these guys are up here and we're down here. We could never be like that. No. <laughs> we're just influencing different ways. That's it. And I want to encourage you today. God is going to free you from some things. We're going, to, we're going to go now through the different tribes. And as we do this, you're going to see how God very strategically put each one of these tribes in different areas of society. And he did it intentionally because he wants us to influence every area of society, every area of the city, every area of our culture, not just the religious area. Amen. Amen. So you might, you might, as we go through these tribes, you might say, whoa, I can, I can relate to that tribe. <laughs> He's describing me. He's describing my passion. He's describing uh, of how I have felt all of my life. And I'm telling you, you're going to be free. You're going to be free. Hallelujah. I love this stuff. All right, four sectors. There were four sectors. We have, uh, you know, the sector of Dan, Ephraim, Reuben, and Judah. Each one of them were known for different things. The tribe or the, the sector of, of Dan was, was symbolized by an eagle. On, on their banner or their flag was an eagle, which symbolized justice. Ephraim was an ox on their, on their flag, which symbolized service. Reuben uh, had the, the symbol of man, which was the humanitarians. Judah had the, had the symbol of a lion, which was leadership. We see that these four sectors already, we can see, whoa, in our society, these are four main pillars of our society. Humanitarian, uh, justice, uh, uh, service, leadership. All right, let's look at the North Camp first. The tribe of Dan. Each tribe also had their own flag or their own banner. And um, they were noted as the eagle. These were the righteous judges of the law. These were the teachers, their master craftsmen. 
the tribe of Dan. And, and, and again, as we go through this, there were many other characteristics. I'm just pulling out the main characteristics of some of these tribes. But notice that these were the judges. These were the, 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 law, the lawmakers, the, the, the ones that um, stood for the, the righteous law. Nephtali was symbolized by the deer. This is the, the, they were uh, businessmen. They were hard workers. They were also warriors. These guys had the spirit of the entrepreneurs. They were known for this. This was part of who they were. You know, maybe you've, you've had all these creative ideas about business all of your life, and you realize, wait a minute, God's, God's putting these things inside of me for a purpose. There's a reason that I, I have these passions. It's not... It's not wrong or sinful for me to have these ideas. <laughs> Do you understand? Vancouver needs some godly Christian business people that do things differently than the world do, that does it. And God wants to use us to represent him in this gate. You understand? Each one of these are like gates in the city. Each one of these are places of influence that God has has strategically placed each one of us. We look at the tribe of Asher, which was symbolized by the tree. Uh, these were, uh, they, 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 they prospered very much in the business world. They were very rich. They even provided the oil for the temple. These were, God prospered their businesses in such a way that their heart was, we are going to supply what even the temple needs. You understand, God is blessing your business for a purpose, not so that you just become super wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. I have many friends that are very, very wealthy, but their heart is not into their wealth. Their heart is, their heart is I, I'm, I'm blessed to be a blessing. And the more they bless, God blesses them more. They can't, you can't outgive God. You understand? But their heart is not connected to the wealth. Their heart is connected to the king, and the king directs their heart. It's so cool to see this happen, but their heart is, we want to, we want to help the church. We want to help the vision of the church and the, the, the projects that God's put on the hearts of the leaders. And In other words, it's not my business, not just so, so I become the next Bill Gates. That's not the idea. The idea is that God's prospered me in such a way to be a blessing to the world. These were the tribes in the north camp, symbolized by the eagle, the west camp. We have uh, Ephraim, which was symbolized by the bull. These were the harvesters. These were the, the cultivators. These were the, uh, the productive farmers. These were the people that, that uh, are so important to our culture and our society today. You understand that, that in the United States, some of the wealthiest people are farmers because the U.S. government helps them <laughs> and pays them to grow certain things, and huge companies you know, uh, lease their land to, to, to do certain things. But I'm telling you, without them, we would be hungry. You understand that? And sometimes we think that, well, the blue collar and the white collar are, are, are different levels and they're different in importance. I'm telling you, we need the blue collar. <laughs> we need these guys that are, that are out there, that are planting, that are harvesting, that are, you know, using technology today and things are getting better and better and faster and and uh, it's amazing to think about this. But this was kingdom. This was the kingdom of God. This was, these were people that were influencing a part of society that I'm never going to touch. I'm not going to touch that. That's not my, my platform. But they have, a, they have a platform, a gate of influence. The tribe of Benjamin. These were constantly developing new potential. They were very productive. They were, um, um, they were the warriors beside the leaders. They were men of authority. Um, these were some key people that stood beside um, the authorities of that day, the leaders of that day, and fought beside them. But they had this ability to see potential and develop that potential. They had eyes, very prophetic people that had eyes to see where there's potential, where there's potential for investment and to see great return. The tribe of Manasseh. These were the, the ones that were very productive. They recorded the history. They were constantly remembering the roots of where did we come from. Maybe that's why you like museums so much. I don't know. 
Maybe that's why you enjoy the Canadian history or the Chinese history or, you know, all of these kinds of things. Maybe that's why you have a, you're just, you know, the history channel is your favorites on the top list on your, on your TV. I, I don't know, but, but the reality is there was, this was one of, those, one of those tribes that was so important to God. That this whole tribe, that was one of their passions is the history. Where did we come from? What has God done? And let's remind everybody. And they would pass that down from generation to generation so that their children would grow up with that mindset. Maybe God's called you to be a history teacher. Maybe that's your passion. You, I've always had a passion for history, and I feel like I'm supposed to teach in the high school. Do it. Pursue it. <laughs> Go after it. You know, because God wants to use you to stand on a platform of influence. Did you ever invite somebody to church and they told you, oh, I'll be there on Sunday? Does that ever happen? <laughs> Have you ever invited 10 people and out of those 10, maybe one respond in a positive way? Did you ever, you know, go, you know, uh, person to person on the street, inviting them, come to church, come to church. We have this special event. We have a prophetic conference, and oh, yeah, I'll be there. Oh, that sounds really cool. Maybe I'll be there, and they don't, none of them show up. You ever had those moments where it's like, oh, man, this is disappointing. This is really difficult. I mean, we're trying to make people that don't want anything to do with God come to a place where God is. And then we are disappointed that they don't come. Think about it. <laughs> Think about it. Jesus doesn't sweat it, though. You know why? He says, listen, if they don't want to come to my church, I'm going to send my church to them. <laughs> they don't. So, so you, you, we get really frustrated. We get disappointed. We get upset. We get, you know, uh, like, I, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to stop inviting people because they don't want to come anyway. You know, all these people in Vancouver are just so re rebellious. They're just spiritually rebellious people. They don't know God. They don't know who God is. They, the, maybe the Jesus they've met is a different version of the real Jesus, and they don't like that. They don't like that version. I wouldn't either. So Jesus is so brilliant. He says, that's not a problem. I'm not sweating that they don't want to come to church. I got the solution. I'm going to send my church to them every single day. They're going to stand on a platform beside them, and they're going to be people of influence. I'm going to show them what my church is through you. Amen. Wow, two people believe that. That's wonderful. <laughs> this is exciting. It's really exciting. <laughs> All right, the West Camp. Let's move on. South Camp. <clears throat> Reuben. One of their titles on them were Son of Compassion. This tribe was the ones that brought healing, the giver of life, restoration. This was the medical field. These were the doctors, the nurses, the surgeons, the, those that would help uh, with the natural, the natural man trying to bring healing to people's lives. Good friend of mine in Taiwan, he's, um, he is either one, he's either number one or number two heart surgeon in the whole country. He does the heart transplants. He was one of the, the innovators. He was one of the first to do those kind of things in Taiwan. And he is super famous. He's super famous, super rich. But he is the head of this hospital in the middle of the island. He's well known by, by lots of people. But um, obviously, he's a man of God. He's, he loves God. He's serving God. They have a church in their home. They, you know, all of this stuff. But He's standing in a gate <laughs> because before he, has sur he does surgery and, and, you know, the people don't say anything to him because of, of who he is, but he'll pray with each patient. And many people get healed before the surgery and they cancel the surgery. <laughs> he's, led lots of people, he's led lots of people to the Lord before they, they go in there or the family members. Also, he's led to Jesus as well. He's understanding that Wow, I'm part of this tribe called Reuben. I'm standing on a gate of influence called a hospital. God has prospered me, and I am very, uh, I'm very good at what I do. And my talent is making room for me and opening doors for me and bringing me before great people, just like it says in Proverbs. And it's causing him to have this place of influence now where people listen to him. 
not just because he's a Christian, but because of his skill level, people listen to him. You understand that? That's, that's what so impressed Daniel. I mean, with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were above everyone else because of their intelligence. That's what impressed these, these great men. They, they whoa, these, who are these guys? Who are these Hebrew kids? They are so, so far advanced beyond us, their intelligence impressed them, not their calling or their religious abilities or their, their Christianity, but their talent and their gift opened a door. So God has put you in these places to be the best at what you do. <laughs> so be the best doctor, be the best nurse, be the best farmer, be the best. Whatever God's put you there, do your best. Become the best. Let God's wisdom flow through you, and he'll take you way beyond your natural ability. So Simeon. Simeon was the place of protection, the counselor, the discerner. These were the the counseling ones, not just uh, like Reuben was the physical healing. This was the emotional part of health care. Talk about family counselors, marriage counselors, uh, you know, social workers today. I mean, there is such a huge field and a huge need in our world today because of the disintegration of family and marriage in our countries. I'm telling you, we need people that love God, that are uh, sons and daughters of God, that stand in that gate and not just tell them the nice things and, and, and just give them, you know, the, the, the practical steps, which we need all of those, but to bring the, the influence of God into that situation is powerful. It's powerful. Then we had Gad. <laughs> not Gab. There's no B there. It's Gad right? <laughs> These were warriors for others. These are the ones that fought for public justice, military. Did you know you can be and stand in the gate of influence as a police officer, as a military personnel? I mean, we need, we need people in this place because it's one of these places of great influence in our countries. And I remember, you probably heard me talk about this in Messengers, but I remember talking to my good friend in New York City. He was a, he was a police officer in New York City, and that's not an easy job. And um, he came to me one day, and he said, Greg, you know, I've, I, I'm, I'm making a decision. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be quitting the, the, police, the police force. I said, really? But you love that. You love that position, and you love that, that job. That's that's been your dream for so many years, and you do super well. Why are you suddenly quitting? And he said, well, you know, I just, I heard some, some teachings the other day. I heard some messages the other day, and I just feel like, you know, I could really serve God better full-time in the church. And I said, well, let's talk about this for a minute. <laughs> he got, I, and I asked him, I said, so tell me about one of your weeks and so he started telling me about one of his weeks, and this past week was, was super excited. They arrested a bunch of, you know, hoodlums and, and different things, and they were, you know, cleaning up the streets and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, you know, I'm doing the, a public service. I'm bringing safety to the city. I said, well, that's a good thing. He goes, yeah, it is a good thing. And, and then he goes, well, in fact, one of them that uh, we arrested, he was sitting in the back seat, and I was with my partner, and we were taking him to jail. And... Um, we struck up a conversation with this guy because he started crying in the back seat and, and oh, I don't want to go to jail and, he, and all this. And, and so we started this conversation and God began to give me a word of knowledge about this guy. So I began to share the word of knowledge with them and, and, uh, and come to find out he was a prodigal son. He had walked away from God and his parents were Christian and he was living this lifestyle now and now this is going to be a consequence of that. And and in any way, I was able to restore him back to God in the back seat of the police car. I go, wow, that is super good. He goes, yeah, I felt so good about that. And then that opened the door to talk to my partner about God some more because he saw what happened. And, and, uh, and I go, so why are you leaving? <laughs> well, I just felt guilty that what I was doing was not at the level of what the Levites are doing. And I said, well, think about this. Every day, every week, you are influencing people that are never going to come to church. 
And now you're going to leave that position and that gate of influence and come into a church that is full of light, full of salt, that don't need you in that way. And you tell me which one is a, is a better place for you. He goes, wow, I never thought about it like that. And then I went on to say, and listen to, listen to this. They're paying you to be a missionary in New York <laughs> with full benefits. And if you come to the church, you're going to take half the salary. There will be no insurance, no benefits. Where is it better for you? <laughs> the city of New York is paying you all kinds of money to be a missionary in the city. You don't have to go from church to church raising funds to be a missionary. They're paying you to be a missionary. You understand? He, he goes, the light started coming on, right? He's like, whoa, I never saw it this way. I was just working for money. I was just working for money to pay my bills and help my family. Wrong idea, wrong perspective. Your job is paying you to be a missionary at that job. They're paying you. They're providing for you and your family so that you can be an influencer in that place of, of the gate, we start thinking this way. We go to work differently. I don't go there just to get a check. I'm going there to be an influencer. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Our last. <laughs> Anybody learning anything? All right. The East Camp. The East Camp. <clears throat> the sign of the lion. Judah obviously was where kings came from, but also the legislators and music and arts came from this place. Lawyers came from this place. You say, well, could there actually be a Christian lawyer? <laughs> yeah, we need some. We really do. This is where our politicians would come from, those that have desire to be in politics and in places of great leadership, the kings that govern the land, music, art, and when we use the term art here, it is such a big category. We're talking writers. We're talking authors. We're talking artists that paint, people that draw. We're talking all the genres of music. We're talking dance. We're talking, you know, uh, actors and plays and movie directors and producers. And, I mean, you, you start thinking about the art category, and it's like, whoa, this so much. Now think about this. We started by talking about the gates. Whoever controls the gate controls the city. I hear, I hear lots of Christians complaining about Hollywood. Let's use Hollywood for a moment. You know Hollywood is a gate. <laughs> Do you know Hollywood is a gate? What happens in Hollywood, in the movie industry, impacts the whole world. It really does. What is promoted by the messages of movies, the styles, the fads, the way of thinking, all of those things that is produced in Hollywood through the TV industry, movie industry, has such an impact in cultures and societies around the world. It is a gate that is so, so powerful. And sometimes I hear Christians complaining so much about Hollywood is so terrible and these movies are so awful and there's so much blah, blah, blah. And and the reality is, whoever stands in the gate controls the city. So what sometimes we've heard messages, and I remember hearing one of these messages as a young boy, heard one of these messages that they, the world is dangerous. Be very careful with the world. The world is a very dangerous place. It's a dark place. There's, there's lots of evil there. There's lots of temptation there. As a Christian young man, be very careful with the world. Be very careful with worldly friends. And there is a truth to that. There is a truth to that. But sometimes we have heard messages that are based, fear-based, not faith-based. And we have instilled fear into people's hearts instead of identity. Because when I know who I am and when I'm surrounded by godly men that help me, I can stand in Hollywood as a movie producer if I know who I am. If I have accountability with godly people around me, I can stand in that gate and I can be a movie producer. You understand that? If I don't know who I am, 
and I'm thrown into that place, they will tell me who I am, and I will change. And we've had lots and lots of examples of Christian people that have gotten into the music industry, the movie industry, or whatever other industries, and we look at them, and they, they're, they're living a crazy lifestyle now, and it's like they totally changed. They forgot their roots, and it's like, how is that possible? And most of the time, and I'm not saying all the time, most of the time, it's because they, don't, they didn't know who they are, and they didn't have a, an accountability circle around them to stand in that gate. Many years ago, I was in um, Stratford, Ontario, and uh, I was at my brother and sister-in-law's church. They were the pastors. There was a young boy playing the drums that day. He was about 10 years old. We prophesied over him about becoming very famous, and his name would be known around the world, and how God wanted to, to really, you know, use him to be a person of influence, but on a, in a marketplace, not in the church. That was Justin Bieber, right? And my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were his pastors for many, many years, and his mom, and, um, and so we... We've seen Justin, you know, become super famous. We've seen him go through these different trials that he brought on himself. And uh, we realized that the influence around him, which most of the media don't know all of those stories, but because of our close to their pastors, we, we know more about what's going on. We realize that it's true what we're saying. If you don't know who you are in God and you don't have an accountability of godly people around you, that world can be very influential over you. And you start to be influenced instead of being an influencer. So, praise God for the things that are changing in Justin today. Keep praying for him. <laughs> Amen. And um, so, but we see others that have been able to do this uh, we see incredible athletes, incredible coaches, NBA, NCAA, all of these different people that are living a Christian lifestyle on a platform called sports and athletics and being an influence in that place. They know who they are. They're surrounded by godly people. Think about it. One by one... Many times when people become Christian, with, maybe with good intentions, we say, oh, be very careful, be very careful, it's very dangerous. And one by one, people begin to feel like, oh, this is a scary place. I need to move from this place and go do something else. And we've removed key gatekeepers, and the enemy goes, oh, this is so good. You're going to take them out of there? I got the perfect person that I'm going to put into that gate, and whoever stands in the gate controls the city. So we look at the laws that change. We look at the, the politics that happen, the government, the things that change. And as Christians, we are gasping, oh, how is that possible in the, the system, this public school systems, in the, the colleges, and everything else that we see happening. And we, 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 we get back and say, oh, the devil is so powerful, and the world is so powerful. And, and we, we, one by one, start removing gatekeepers, and the enemy goes, yes. I'm going to put my people into these places, and they will be the influencers now. They will set the laws. They will set the, the what's going to happen. They will be the ones that influence a nation. I'm telling you, it's time that the church wakes up <laughs> and that our children and our grandchildren become people that we, we support them and say, you can do this. Be an influencer, and we help them, and we're some of their greatest fans that, that they become into this place and that they become these men and women that become so powerful influencers. All right, quickly, Issachar. Issachar, were, they were the educators. They were, they were the ones, the professors, the teachers. These guys were the ones that had great wisdom and understanding, giving direction to the generations. Last one, Zebulun. These were the export, the import. These were the merchants. These were the international business people. These were the ones that that were like the lighthouse. They were, of course, they used the sea back in that time. You wonder, why did I, why have such a desire to be an international, 
a business person. Why is that in my heart? Well, guess what? Maybe God has... God wants you to be an influence in that area because it's a huge area in our world we live in today. Huge area. I propose these before you today that in our world today we have gates. And maybe you are standing in one of these gates. Maybe you are living in one of these places. You go to work in one of these places. Maybe you have passion for one of these things. Maybe this is one of the things you've, you've been dreaming about all of your life, but you, you felt guilty, you felt condemned that, how could I do that and be a Christian? God wants you to be an influencer. Remember, we started this morning by saying that the whole kingdom was represented by all of the tribes, not just the Levites. And I pray that today, as we've gone through this, and again, we didn't go into all of the details of every single tribe, but, but it gives you a, a picture of how all of those tribes literally were in every facet and every area of society in the culture that they were in. They were impacting and influencing the business, the, the, the medical, the teaching. The, I mean, we, as we've gone through this, you saw it. It's like every level of society was touched by God's kingdom. This is God's way, and this is God's way in Vancouver. God wants to use you as an influencer on that platform in that gate. I'd like us to pray. Father, thank you so much for every person here this morning. God, I know that this, this message is challenging. It challenges our mindset. Sometimes it, it really shakes our religiosity, and, and maybe things that we heard as, as young people and we we just, you know, are still living under that influence. But God, help us to know today that if we're the 92, we are so important. We are ministers, but our ministry is not within a, a church building. Our ministry is out there in a gate, and that gate is a place of influence. And I just pray, Father, that, that as we look at our lives, we take an inventory of where is my job, where am I working, where am I studying, and to realize, whoa, I am... I'm a gatekeeper. I, I'm standing in a place of influence, and I, I never looked at it that way. And I just pray, Father, that today freedom would come to our lives. Freedom would come to the way we think. Freedom would come to our heart. And that, God, we would go to work. We would go to school with a different perspective. And that, Father, you are providing for us to be a gatekeeper in that place. And that, Lord, we can represent your kingdom in a very, very powerful way there. Father, release us from fear. Release us from fear that, well, i got to be so careful because I could get drawn back into whatever. No, let us know who we are as sons and daughters, that nothing else defines who we are, but you define us. And Lord, let us be surrounded then by godly men and women that keep us accountable, that cover us and help us as we stand in some of these places that seem very dark. But Lord, we thank you that we know light is greater than darkness. You greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. And so, Father, let's throw off the fear that maybe we have, we have been under that influence and we've backed away. But, Lord, let us stand there now with confidence and that we become the best at that industry. We become the best at that place. That, Father, the talent you put in us would be for your glory and that people would notice it and they'd go, whoa, how do you do that? Which opens the door to talk about you, Father. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is good, isn't it? I tell you, my mind is just sparking in so many different directions. <laughs> I want to say a couple things before I transition to our ministry time. I know if Ben is here or Jeanette's here uh, to get on our... Okay, I can't see here. Um, okay, so maybe if Jeanette could... Um, come on front and we'll get started. I just want to make a few comments here. What are the three words that we teach summarizes our DNA at church here? Five stones. Gospel, disciple, third word, influence. That's why I wanted Greg to preach this message is to reinforce that this is part and parcel of how we see ourselves as five stones. To release, to equip, to encourage, to protect, to cover. This is home base, but then you go out there, and your place of ministry is 
you know, the field that God has, has given to you. And, you know, this message has resonated so deeply in churches all over Asia. And it, it, it does flip our mindset into a very strong kingdom mindset. And this is part of becoming a prophetic people, right? Not just having prophetic knowledge, but this actually will play itself out in our lifestyle, our career decisions, how we see ourselves in the workplace. And we become a prophetic people. And we, pardon me, we become on that cutting edge, you know, of what God is doing in, in the midst of society. Uh, Jillian just brought up the whole thing about the, the arena of politics. Um, my uh, when I was pastoring in Minneapolis, my chief administrator in the church actually left the ministry, and he is now a senator in politics. And he still calls me up. And uh, actually, two years ago, he said, Rich, we're going through this legislation, and uh, I need some perspective on import from China, and blah, 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 blah. And I just thought, what a powerful picture, right, to have someone that was serving alongside of me. Now he's in the gate of politics and influencing legislation. And the work between the church is seamless in that sense. He's actually in church at work, and I'm actually in politics, right? So there's this beautiful interplay that goes on, you know, between these gates. The other thing I just want to say, too, is that this kind of mindset is a generational solution. In one sense, we've already lost the culture in Canada. We've lost the culture. The reason why we've lost the culture is because we don't have people standing in these gates. We don't have families that were raising kids. With this understanding, they can be in any of these places to be influencers. So the solution is actually generational. We're not going to be able to just protest, go to these places also, and turn the country around. It's not going to happen. We have to raise kids. We have to put them into schools. We have to give them this understanding so they will go back to those gates and turn things around. And so, I mean, that sounds maybe a little bit disheartening, but we still have, you know, the gospel that is the ultimate solution and the ultimate hope for our culture. So anyways, thank you, Greg.